I get the privilege of being uh, the lead pastor. Uh, this, one of the best churches in uh, the world, I believe. Amen? Amen. I'll tell you a story. There's a man named Christopher Petkow, and Christopher lives in Vancouver. Uh, Christopher is a wildlife photographer and videographer, and uh, one day he was headed to Inuvik Northwest Territories. Anyone ever been to Inuvik? Anyone? One person? One person in this room have been to Inuvik. All right, he's on his way to Inuvik, and he was flying out of Yellowknife. Well, when he arrived at the airport, uh, he discovered that all the computer systems were down and that the uh, airport staff were uh, manually doing all the ticket process. And so uh, he got there, and, and wanting to be sure he was getting on the right flight as he, as he mounted the stairs to the airplane, he asked the stewardess, uh, he said, is this flight going to Inuvik? And she said, yeah, eventually. And so he got on the plane and he found his seat and he settled in. And a few hours later, as the plan, uh, plane landed in Rankin Inlet, uh, he thought, well, we just must be making a stopover. And, and so he called one of the other stewardesses over. And uh, I, I don't know, is, is that outdated? Are you allowed to say stewardess anymore? It's a, uh, attendant, sorry, a flight attendant. Uh, called the attendant over and, uh, and asked her, you know, how much longer, how many more hours until we get to Inuvik? And she looked at him and said, sir, this plane is going to Iqaluit. And he was like, well, what is going on? He's, he's 3,300 kilometers in the wrong direction. And so as they sorted out, he said, but I asked the lady in the, the first attendant, she felt so badly. She said, I'm so sorry. She said, as you were getting on the plane, the man right in front of you asked how long until we arrived in Hawaii. And so I thought you were also being funny. And I gave you a funny answer in response. But because he trusted her, he believed what she said, only to find himself far from where he'd hoped to end up. We live in a funny day, don't we? Uh, every day we are uh, surrounded by these two words, followers and influencers. Followers and influencers. If you're on social media at all, uh, you know it's about followers. How many followers are, are following your account? Uh, every day you're being uh, asked to follow, like and subscribe uh, followers. And it's a really strange time when influencer is actually like uh, a, a job that, that people aspire to. You know, like, you know, when we were kids, you're like, what do you want to be? I want to be a fireman or a policeman or whatever. Like today, kids are like, I want to be an influencer. I want to be on social media. I want to have followers, and, and I want to use a, a, develop a platform where people will follow me. And so we hear about followers and influencers quite a bit. Now, some of you are on social media, and so I, I want to educate you a little bit about the Internet. See, the Internet is this thing on a computer, and nobody really knows what it is, but it's just like there, right? It's the cloud. No, I'm just kidding. But here's the thing. Did you ever hear about the Fishgate scandal of 2018? The Fishgate scandal of 2018. If you're not on social media, let me, let me tune you into the Fishgate scandal of 2018. See, no one likes to be duped, deceived, defrauded, scammed, right? That's one of our worst uh, fears that we, that we would have. Well, that's the feeling that happened to 2 million social media followers of this uh, influencer by the name of Jovanna Mendoza. 
Ivana Mendoza, she used to post under the name Ravana. And Ravana, and, and, and so she was an influencer. And so if you don't know what an influencer, influencer is someone who develops a platform and people follow them online and they use their platform and their fame to influence purchasing decisions. Companies will, you know, sponsor them to, to wear their clothes or to, to hawk their brand, trying to get people to buy it. And oftentimes they'll develop a product. And, and so for uh, Yavana, uh, she was leveraging her popularity uh, towards uh, the benefits of a raw vegan diet. That's what her that's what her platform is about. How not just vegan, but raw vegan. Like no cooked foods, no meat products, just raw vegetable diet. That was that was her platform. And and through this, she she would uh, you know promote the the health benefits and the life changing benefits of this diet. And and she would sell light, uh, weight loss programs and and kits for forty nine and have her recipes on there. And so she had developed through YouTube and Instagram a following of uh, 3 million people following uh, her account. Now, this is all great and fine, uh, but it all came crashing down in the summer of 2018 when Yovana was touring and she was in uh, Indonesia and she was using all those beautiful beach scenes to promote her brand and, you know, developing content, you know, getting all the, the pictures out there of her and her wonderful uh, diet program. But, but what happened is she was touring with another uh, influencer who blogged on a different channel and inadvertently that influencer influencer had posted some video of them sharing a meal together, but on that video, her, Yovana's followers could see that there was something on her plate that wasn't usually a part of her diet program. She had seafood on her plate. She was eating fish. And the uproar of uh, this person who promoted this raw vegan diet eating fish, what is happening? This seems so hypocritical. And there's a huge reaction. Uh, they felt betrayed. They felt like she had deceived them. And so the comment section began to blow up with, with negative comments. And she lost 2 million followers uh, that week. And so she had to put together a video, and in this video, she sort of came clean and said, you know, I wasn't really trying to be deceptive on purpose, um, but what happened is I actually was having some health issues surrounding my diet, and so the doctor said eating some fish and some eggs was going to help me, and, and so this is the Fishgate scandal of 2018, and now you're all caught up. Now, here's the thing. When our trust is broken, it can be de devastating can it, right? When we have distrust, it could lead to skepticism. And we wonder what's wrong with our world today, right? Trust has been broken. Uh, distrust is high. Skepticism is, the, uh, is kind of the flavor of the day. And so we're always trying to protect ourselves from imposters. Nobody wants to be deceived. No one wants to be taken uh, advantage of. Ironically, though, uh, in a fascinating turn, researchers have discovered that people most often uh, want to follow a confident leader as opposed to a competent leader. 
This is something that happens in our psychology. People are more likely to follow someone who has confidence rather than someone who has competence. They've actually done some studies on this, multiple studies, and they want to know why do we think that confidence makes someone competent when in fact, you know, so you know, when you got that person, it's like, follow me, guys, and they're like, okay, I don't know if he knows where he's going, but we're going to follow him, right? You might actually have the person uh, who knows more about it, but they're kind of like humble or maybe, you know, not as assured. And, and uh, psychologically, they said, we're going to follow the person who exudes confidence more than the person who actually has confidence. This is what it said um, in, um, in the uh, Harvard Business Review. It says, why do people view confident others as more competent even when their performance suggests otherwise. He says sometimes people claim to know what they're doing, and you can obviously see they're not you know, as uh, adept at it as they say that they are. But this is how one explanation is we have a tendency to believe what we're told. And we're confirmed these beliefs by selecting information that supports it. So we have this confirmation bias. And so when we're looking for something, we want it to be true. We actually find ways of believing it to be true. And this is what he says. So if you project confidence, others tend to believe you know what you're talking about. People tend to penalize humble actors by deciding against them and choosing the confident ones. And so in this article, they're saying, if you keep getting passed over for promotions at work, it might be because you're too humble. So you got to promote yourself and exude a bit more confidence about what you're doing. And so that, there you go. There's a tip for you. Uh, if you get a promotion, uh, just make sure you tithe on the, on the raise, and that will be great. <laughs> we'll be even. Now, here's the thing. We live in a world where virtually anyone can uh, exert their expertise. Anyone can assert their, uh, their confidence. They convince us that they know what they're talking about. Uh, but more importantly, we live in a world where we have to decide whose voices we're going to allow to speak into our lives. Who, who are we going to follow? We're all following someone, but who are we following? As we come to Scripture, over 13 times in Scripture, Jesus is recording, uh, recorded giving this invitation, the invitation to follow me. Follow me. The invitation to follow Jesus. Now, some of these are duplicate stories found in multiple Gospels, but over the next few weeks uh, leading up to Easter, we're going to be looking at some of the stories, some of the invitations where Jesus gives us that invitation to follow me. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 this morning, this is one of the more famous stories of Scripture, the story often referred to as that of the rich young ruler. Now, by title, you'd think this was the kind of guy we'd all want to be, right? He's rich. He's young. How many, who, who right now, who would you rather be rich or would you rather be young? I don't know. What, you know, which would it be? He was the rich. He was the young ruler, someone that we'd all want to be perhaps, but in my opinion, this is one of the saddest stories in all of Scripture. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 says, As Jesus was starting out of his way, out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone and honor your father and mother. 
Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he said. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. It's one of the few people who Jesus gives this invitation to in Scripture. Come, follow me, where we see that the person doesn't actually take him up on his invitation. This young man, he was pretty much living the life that anyone could ask for. He was a good guy with good morals. He was living the good life. He had a good income. Uh, It's fair to say that he probably had a good reputation and uh, he made a good impression. Uh, But one day as Jesus was was coming to Jerusalem, this man felt the need to chase after him and catch him before it was too late, before he was was gone. And he he asked this question, and many have asked this question over life's uh, time. It's one of life's most important questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And we're not told what motivated him. Uh, You know, it's possible that he was bragging. You know, maybe he was arrogantly thinking like, hey, if, if I just ask Jesus, Jesus is going to say, you know, in response, right in front of everyone else, say, hey, man, just keep doing what you're doing. Like, good job. You're awesome. Right? Possibly that's what he was going after. I think it was something a bit more. I think he had a sense that there was something more in his life. He was looking for something that was missing, something that he could actually have assurance in. I think this question came from a sincere place, wanting to know, what must I do to have eternal life? I think he genuinely wanted to know with some assurance that he was good with God. I think he wanted to know that he was, that he was doing good, that he was doing good enough, and that he was, he was doing the, what he was doing was working. And so Jesus is on his way uh, to Jerusalem and, and he captures him in this moment and, and he, I don't know if he was just waiting to the crowds thinned out, you know. Well, why is he waiting till the last minute to approach Jesus? Maybe he's waiting for the, maybe he's working up the courage to approach Jesus, but, but he does and, and he approaches this subject with Jesus and I think he instantly recognized this conversation wasn't going the way that he imagined. You ever worked yourself up to, to having a conversation and as soon as you kind of like start the conversation, you immediately think, this isn't going the way that I pictured in my mind, right? I think that's what's happening. See, first off is Jesus' initial response to his question. Jesus focuses on a, a rather odd part of the question. He, it says here that he unexpectedly focuses on, on this why do you call me good? Oh, that's not really the part of my, you know, okay, well, just forget I said it, you know. Why? Why do you call me good? He says, only God is truly good. You know, the guy's just being nice, Jesus. Why do you really care about this? He's just kind of like, you know, platitudes. And, and one of the possibilities, I think, uh, that Jesus is asking this man is he's saying, do you really believe what you're saying? If you're going to call me good teacher... And and what is good anyways, Jesus said, only God is good. But if you're going to approach me with this, are you seriously uh, serious about believing what it is that I teach? Uh, Are are you seriously prepared to accept the implications of making such an affirmation? 
You know, we don't see that the rich young ruler had much time to give an answer, but his eyes must have kind of gone wide, you know, for a moment, like, okay, this is not how I picture this going, right? And, and maybe this whole thing is a mistake. I shouldn't have said anything, but, but culturally speaking, we know that Jesus has deviated uh, significantly from the cultural norm. Uh, you know, culturally, the expectation was that you greet someone with a complimentary title and that they, in turn, would greet you back with an equally complimentary title. You know, like, hey, good teacher. And you go, hey, good noble leader, you know. And, uh, and, and maybe that's what he was trying to, to do. Kenneth Bailey, a, a theologian, he says, the ruler tries to impress with a compliment and hopes to be greeted with some lofty title in return. One compliment requires a second. Good teacher might be expected to follow Jesus uh, to say noble leader in response. And so we see right off the bat that Jesus isn't going to just follow along with the customary cultural, uh, you know, uh, expectations and pleasantries. He says, good teacher. Are you really ready to handle what that means? He said, if you really believe I'm a good teacher, then get ready, because class is in session. And the man's like, oh boy, maybe this might be a mistake, right? Jesus then proceeds to list a bunch of the Ten Commandments. He says, you must not murder, commit adultery, steal, lie, cheat, or dishonor your parents. Right, children? Right, high school kids, junior high kids. Don't dishonor your parents. And all of this... The man replies in verse 20, I've obeyed all these things since I was young. I was the model citizen. I was a perfect child growing up. I was the middle child, you know. Of course, I was the perfect one. Just kidding. No favoritism. Now, just between you and me, I, I'm wondering, like, is this guy for real, you know? Is he, like, so arrogant or, they, you know, does he just have a lot of real self-control? You know, like, since I was young, I've followed all these things. Like, you've obeyed them all? Seriously? Like, all the time? Well, now we might say, well, yeah, he never murdered anyone or had committed adultery. But, but lying, cheating, dishonoring his parents, stealing. You know, and Jesus actually taught it's not just about murder. It's about having anger in your heart. And he took, you know, it's not just about, you know, uh, uh, adultery, but lust. And, but this man saying, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm good with all of those. Uh, those areas of my life have got locked down. And, and, and I love this story. Because Jesus responds, you know, he's always responding to the different people that approach him differently. But what he always does is he always gets past the posturing. He always gets past the, the pretenses and he dives deep into our hearts. And he always exposes what's underlying the surface. Sometimes the things that no one else sees. And sometimes the things that we're not even really aware of or willing to admit on our, uh, on our own. But he does it in such a way that's not harsh. You know, even when we're approaching him and we're just being silly, like, Jesus, I'm, 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 I'm good, I'm perfect, you know, and Jesus is like, really? It's like, really, all the time you have been? And, but this is what it says I love in verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I think that's how Jesus looks at each and every one of us. He doesn't look at us and see our silliness or see our pretense or see our, our you know, misconceived ideas of ourselves or grandeur, any of that. He says, he looks at him with genuine love. Matthew 19, Matthew records one phrase that's not uh, included with any of the other gospels, uh, but he has Jesus saying to him this line. He says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect, he's, this man saying, Jesus, I'm good. Jesus like, okay, you might be good, but if you want to be perfect, 
You know, how many, how many times have we heard someone use that line in response to talking about their need for God? Like, like I, I'm a good person, you know? I don't need all that religious stuff. I'm a good person. And, and you know, there's a lot of people who'd claim to be good people, but hardly anyone who'd actually claim to be perfect, right? And this is how Matthew recounts the passage. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. See, the man had come to Jesus for some assurance that he was good with God, that he was on the right track, and, uh, and that he had this surety about eternity. But uh, even with all his rule keeping, he didn't have a peace at heart about it. Even with all his rule keeping, he felt like he couldn't be sure. And so I think Jesus' answer is rocking his world. This is not expecting, this is not what he expected to hear. You know, Jesus responds to him with a big ask. And in the, in the end, one that this man felt that he couldn't fulfill. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. He couldn't get past what he was being asked to give up. How many know that it's hard to give up? Sometimes we even know that we need to give up something in order to gain something greater, right? Like, I have to give up, you know, chips and dip on the couch at night to get, like, a greater health, right? That's hard to do, right? It's hard to give up that extra hour of sleep in the morning, uh, you know, to get your day started, you know, whether it's devotions or whether it's exercise, whatever it is. It's hard sometimes to give up something in order to gain something greater, and so this man, he's looking at what he's being asked to give up. He's being given the free opportunity. Uh, Jesus often healed people. And we often read in scripture, it says that Jesus would heal them physically. And he said, now go home and don't tell anyone what I did. We see that in scripture. But, but for this man, Jesus is saying, go and do this and then come and follow me. Come be a part of my, my apprenticeship program. Like this man could have been the 13th disciple, right? He could have walked where Jesus walked. He could, have, he could have learned at the feet of Jesus. He could have walked, you know, day to day with Jesus pouring into his life. He had this opportunity and the Bible says that he walked away sad instead. There's, there's a parable Jesus says of, of which man would find a treasure in a field, you know, and, and it says that the, the man would go and sell all that he had in order to buy that field and to, to gain that treasure, right? And so Jesus said, go and, and sell, get rid of all that you have and come follow me. But this man couldn't get past what he was being asked to give up. His life that he'd built for himself represented stability. He was able to provide for himself. Uh, you know, the things that he had were symbols of his success, but they were also his security for the future. He was, he was set. His wealth, his position, his power, his prominence, they had all played into his identity. And Jesus was asking him to give it all away. Even for such a noble cause, he couldn't bring himself to do it. It's strange that this man who was so keen on doing all the right things was asked to do one more thing. And he said, no, that's one thing too much. That's one thing that I can't do. Now, to be fair, this seems really incredibly unfair of Jesus, doesn't it? Like, this seems really unreasonable what Jesus was asking of him. You know, there's been a lot of followers of Jesus who have owned a lot of things over the years, haven't there been? 
right? And, and so we look here, and, and there's people who have taken vows of poverty in their pursuit of spiritual growth. But I don't think that's what Jesus is calling for here. You know, if we all took vows of poverty and sold off all our possessions, it would be really hard to pay the electrical or the heating bill next week, right? If we all took vows of poverty, it would be hard for us to support our global missions workers or, or to, you know, sp- you know, support our kids. You know, kids camp in the summer would be pretty lean if we all had vows of poverty, right? I, this is not what Jesus is calling us to. The problem wasn't uh, with what the man had, but with how the man looked at what he had. See, the problem wasn't with his possessions, but his perspective. And this is what Jesus was trying to lead him towards. Now, check out the six commandments that Jesus listed again. Murder, adultery, stealing, lying, cheating, dishonoring. What do these six commandments have all in common? These are all our interactions with other people. These are all our interactions. These are the commandments focused on our relationship with other people. And this man felt that he could genuinely say to Jesus, I'm a good person. The way I'm living isn't hurting anybody. He could honestly say that to Jesus. The way I'm living isn't hurting anyone. But consider for a moment the four commandments that Jesus didn't list of the Ten Commandments here. Found in Exodus 20. You must have no other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. You must not misuse the name of the Lord. You must honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy as a day of rest dedicated to the Lord. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus' challenge makes so much more sense, doesn't it? The, the problem wasn't with what he had, but, but with what had him and what it had become to him, what it represented in his life. See, this man had become focused on living a good life, but he hadn't been living a God life. You know, instead, let's put it this way. He'd been following the rules, but he wasn't following God. With one simple instruction, Jesus caused this man to be confronted with some hard questions that demanded some answers. What's your source of comfort? Where do you draw your security from? What informs your identity? What do you see as a guaranteed for your future? Really, what or who are you following? Because ultimately, that is your God. This man's like, I've been keeping all the rules. I've been living rightly with other people. I'm a good person. My life isn't hurting anyone. And yet Jesus is saying, yeah, but you're not following God. Jesus told the man to give it all up, give it all away, then come follow me. And because a man had asked the question, but he didn't like the answer, he walked away sad and disappointed. He was willing to follow the rules, but he wasn't willing to follow Jesus. He reduced his faith to doing nothing wrong. You ever had kids? You ever had that argument? I didn't do anything wrong. Or you know you can not do something wrong, but still not do something right. And this man had reduced his faith in God to what he wasn't doing wrong, and yet he wasn't doing the right things. How many know that we can believe in Jesus, but that's different than following Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus today, or, or do you follow Jesus today? A lot of people like this man would say they believe in Jesus, but they're following themselves, following their own lives and their own plans. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says this. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, Take up your cross and follow me. Who you follow 
matters. It was a cold, snowy night, kind of like we've experienced here in Penticton over the winter. And a teenage boy got lost on his way home, and the snow was blowing so fast and piling up so high, he could barely see the street signs. And so with no map, because no one has maps anymore, he wouldn't even know how to read it anyways. And with his cell phone dead, he pulled over to the side of the road. Then, breaking through the flurries in his rearview mirror behind him, he saw the flashing lights of a plow truck approaching him. Thankful for his good fortune, he followed the truck, hoping that it would lead him to somewhere that he recognized. He followed the truck for what felt like hours. When the truck turned left, he turned left. When the truck turned right, he turned right, hot on its tail, careful not to get separated from his guide. After a while, he saw the brake lights come on the truck and eventually the four-way flashers. As he looked, the driver of the plow truck got out and came back approaching his car. Rolling down his window, the boy leaned his head out the window to talk and the man said to him, why are you following me, kid? Well, sir, my dad told me if I was ever lost in a snowstorm, I should wait for a plow truck and then follow it. Well, said the plow driver, I just finished clearing the Walmart parking lot. If you want to follow me over to the grocery store, feel free. Who you follow matters. Like the man of our passage, it's easy to become focused on our behavior, thinking we've earned God's love and favor, when really salvation is found by throwing ourselves on God's mercy and grace. You know, it's easy for us to become focused on, uh, on being good people with good morals, making good impressions, building good lives, and ensuring a good future, and all the while that our focus is on us, following ourselves. And if we're not careful, when our life with Jesus is based on our behavior, what often creeps in is this feeling that we deserve it. When I've been good, I deserve it. When I eat a salad, I think I deserve dessert because I just ate a salad, <laughs> right? When I've been good, I deserve whatever it is for you, right? And we approach Jesus that way. Jesus, I've been good. I deserve your blessing. Jesus, I'm good. I deserve your favor. Jesus, you owe me because I've been good. The reason Jesus told this rich man to sell everything he had and give it away wasn't because living a good life and having nice things is a problem. It's actually a real blessing for us to be blessed because that's how we were able to be a blessing to others. But the problem was that he was trying to get the man to see that he was really following himself. Who you follow matters. See, the man was so focused on being perfect in his behavior and Jesus is saying, I want to perfect your faith in your Savior. He's so focused on being perfect in behavior. And Jesus said, I want to perfect your faith in your Savior. Hebrews 12.1 says this. Since we're so surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Here's the truth. God has an incredible plan for your life, but it won't always be easy. It sometimes comes with a cost. It sometimes comes with a need for endurance. 
But the Bible says that there are weights that can slow us down and keep us from running the race effectively that God lays before us. The weights are sometimes sin, but not always sin. He said, throw off the weights, especially the sin, but that means that there's actually other weights that lay us down, and many of those weights are just distractions. Distractions are objects that direct our attention away from something else. Now, the funny thing about being distracted is that when we're distracted, we don't often realize we're distracted. I've come to realize something uh, about my life. As, as I, I live in like a, I love knowledge, I love learning, I, I live in like a gotta know state. And so oftentimes what happens is we, we go to bed at night and we put the kids to bed and they'll start talking about something. You know, like, oh, like, what's the capital of Iraq? And, or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is from the day, you know, and, and I, I have to know. I have to know in that moment. I said, well, just hold on a minute. Let's look that up. And what often happens is we'll be putting the kids to bed and we'll be ready to pray together or whatever. And Holly goes, Jer, put your phone down. I'll be like, what? but I'm looking up the answer to what they just asked, right? I'm trying to find it. And I get, I get spiraling down real fast, you know. And, and, but I don't realize it until they're like, Jer, we're praying now. Oh, sorry, sorry. You know, I was so distracted in the moment. For many people, the thing that distracts them from following Jesus is to focus on their own strengths. Like this man, I'm good. I got this. I'm keeping all the rules. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm a good person. Why do I need Jesus? For others of us, it's the opposite distraction. It's our weaknesses. Ah, oh, I'm so bad. I keep messing up. I keep failing and I don't deserve God's love. I'll never be good enough. And you're looking at our behavior as a barometer instead of our Savior. You know, it's easy to get focused on all the wrong things, thinking that we're following Jesus, only to realize that we're off course, lost and distracted. But I love that the author of Hebrews, he lays out the cure. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. A few moments ago in our worship time, I was saying this, uh, we, God's not responding to us we're responding to God. It's God that initiates our faith. He's the one that gives us the ability to believe. He's the one that opens our eyes to see him if we'll let him. He's the one who initiates and he's the one who perfects. But the way that we are perfected in faith is by keeping our eyes, not on our behavior, good or bad, but on Jesus, our Savior. We're gonna go to a moment of communion together and if you are, uh, haven't yet you can grab one of the cups at the back table and we're going to just celebrate this together in just a moment you know, the communion moment is really about a reminder of what Christ has done for us Jesus says take this and, and do this as often as you gather and, and do it as remembrance of me because you're proclaiming my death and my life until I come Again, so we need reminders. We need reminders throughout our days and our weeks that it's not about us and what we've accomplished. It's not about what we've achieved. It's not even about us and our failings. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he has done for us. You know what frees us to run the race God set before us? It gives us the assurance of the eternity that awaits us is knowing that it doesn't depend on us. The man said to Jesus, what more can I do? And Jesus said, there's nothing left to do. Just give it all away and follow me. Follow me. 
Jesus, the initiator, the perfecter. You don't have to have your faith perfect. You don't have to have your life perfect. You couldn't accomplish that if you tried. Jesus says, keep your eyes on me and follow where I lead, and I will lead you to eternal life. See, the rich young ruler didn't understand that salvation and eternal life aren't about perfect lives, but about God's perfect love. So today we're going to take that, that bread. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. So often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's just take a moment and just pause and reflect and say, God, I just thank you for your perfect love. While you were yet, we were yet sinners, you came and you died for us. Your body was broken on our behalf. Though your body was broken so that we wouldn't have to be. And yet we know that Christ, that you were raised to life and that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit who lives in us, the one who enables us. That we're not good on our own merit, that we're not good on our own behavior. But we throw ourselves on your grace and your love and we accept this gift of salvation from you today. Let's take that bread together. After supper, Jesus took that cup and he said, this cup is a reminder of my blood spilled on behalf of you. And we know that life, we think of life as being in the blood. Jesus is literally saying, I'm shedding my life's blood to cover your sin so that you can have the life that is in me I now give to you. He says, do this as often as you gather together. Do it to remember my soon coming, my return. My return, I'm coming again. I'm not just purchasing your life for this moment, but I'm purchasing your life for eternity. This is the assurance that this man was looking for. And so Jesus today says, come, follow me. And when you follow me, you'll have the light that leads to life. Let's take this as a, as Jesus, I just thank you today for this blood, Lord God, this blood shed on our behalf. Lord Jesus, we, we think of you being the perfect sacrifice. God, so that our perfection is no longer in question. It's no longer required. We come to you as we are. And Lord, we accept this gift, Lord, that you wash us and cleanse us. Lord, I pray as we, as we take this cup, Lord God, that we would be reminded, Lord, that it's not about following ourselves, it's about following you. It's not about perfect behavior, but it's about your perfect love, Lord. And so we're going to follow in that love and receive that love today in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand all across this place. And, and can we just have that, that, that